Are you ready? Now back to Heatwave Sports. All right, everybody. Tom Barton from TomBartonSports.com sitting in for Tim Unglesby tonight. Tim will be back tomorrow. Chris Wynn is joining me. Chris Wynn. What is up? Good to be here. Radio personality extraordinaire. That's what we're calling it. We are talking March Madness, the brackets. We're even touching on a little uh, Mountain West. A little, as little as we can. <laughs> as little as What do you can. mean? What are you talking about, Tommy? There's all... Everybody has to be talking about the UNLV coaching search, right? Everybody oh. around the country, I'm sure. Yeah, they'll 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 uncover some rocks and some high schools around the country, and yeah, uh, that, that that'll be that'll be about it. Or or are we going to go back to the Patino conversation, right? Is that, is that what I mean, it's such do? a highly ta- it's, it's such a highly sought after job, Tommy. You know, doesn't everybody want to be the running Rebels head coach? Because I mean, I mean, they won a national championship just. Just a, a few short thirty-one years ago, you know. So yeah, come on. one, one, one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah. let's let's talk about tomorrow. Uh, I mean Monday's games, um, and we'll talk about the team that is gunning for a national championship this year. It seems like everybody that I know was all over Gonzaga, and for good reason. Gonzaga. They flexed their muscles. We expected them to. The line was 33. They humiliated this team. It wasn't even close. So what can they set this line at? Look, Gonzaga is the most complete team. They're really well coached. They are on a mission. We know this. We all we, we know all of this. Usually in round one, we do see a lot of spankings. In round two, it's a lot of big lines, uh, but they start to come down. 33 was the line in round one. To, look, this is a a Mark Few-led team that I don't believe is the greatest team I've ever seen, but they still have time to prove me wrong. I am not down on Gonzaga. I think they're fantastic. I just am in a position where I'm hesitant to call them, you know, the greatest team of all time, and that's kind of what they're being compared to right now. So when you're talking about Gonzaga, make sure that you're understanding the narrative. When People like me are talking down on Gonzaga. It's not because they're not good. It's because we're comparing them to the greatest teams of all time. So I think, Chris, I think this 14-point line against Oklahoma is a little bit low. And I, I can't believe that I'm saying it. I said to you in our number one, can they set the line high enough? And my answer was no. I don't think they could have. If this line was 20, I wouldn't be taking Gonzaga, but I don't think it's an outrageous line to set Gonzaga at 20. This line opens at 14, and if there could be any sort of disrespect, I think Gonzaga is going to look at this as a disrespect. To me, this is a, a, a Gonzaga or nothing play, like we said. I'm very, very, very much looking to maybe take a shot at Gonzaga minus the 14. I got to do my research. I know the line just came out a little a couple hours ago. But I don't think you could set this line high enough. I think this team this weekend wants to prove a huge point. I don't think they call the dogs off at the end. This is a team that wants to go out there. They don't want to beat people. They want to spank people because in the back of their head, look, you can tell me all you want about just move on and advance. And No, no, no. For every other team, it's move on and advance, get through however you can. We don't care. Get through however you can. For Gonzaga, 
it is our place in history. And our place in history is beat every team by 40 points. Maybe they'll start looking at us like we are the greatest team. I don't think they pulled the dogs off. I think they want to run the score up. I think 14 could be a gift on Monday. Couple of key points here to what you brought up, Tommy, on this Gonzaga team. Talking about them among the all-time great teams in college basketball, right now, in my personal opinion, I think is preposterous. I, I mean, I take a look at, you know, when you're, you're talking about some of those UCLA teams, obviously, you look at the, you know, the 92 Duke team, you look at uh, everybody looks at the, you know, the UNLV 1990 team and, 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 and probably three, four, five, six, ten others that I, would, that I wouldn't even put in the same conversation of this Gonzaga team. And, and look, I'm not taking some – I'm not just absolutely blasting this Bulldog squad. I think it's just – it's a product of being here in 2021, and they just flat out played in the West Coast Conference, right? They're a great team. They have guys who are going to be playing at the NBA level and playing professionally overseas, you know, for many years to come. They have great players. They have a great coach, in my opinion, Mark Few. But comparing them to those, you know, some of these teams that are, you know, in a, are the pinnacle of college basketball, I think, isn't really a great thing. That being said, the matchup now, they take on the Sooners of Oklahoma. Lon Kruger, of course, uh, uh, a coach that has been able to do it at multiple programs. He's taken, made, you know, taken very respectable teams, and uh, he's gone deep into tournaments, and he's been to Final Fours. So I think that kind of plays into the respect factor when it comes to this line. But, uh, you know, by the way, that Oklahoma, the game today, Oklahoma is a team that uh, I think it was a pick em at, at game time because of uh, – because obviously because I think uh, Oklahoma's, uh, if not their best player, one of their best players is out. So that's why the line was so uh, tight. But, um, you know, as far as that goes, as far as the line and the, and the matchup between these two teams, I, I think that – I absolutely do think that Gonzaga covers it, and but Gonzaga is just up against it from a perception standpoint in regards to how great they are because of what conference they play in, right? And because you know, in in today's day and age, it's not like it was when it when you're, when you're talking about the University of San Francisco, right? Or you're even talking about in more recent times when Gonzaga and St. Mary's were battling things out, um, you know, in the WCC. They were just clear and far and away the best team in that conference. And then, of course, you know, projected out throughout the rest of the country because of, uh, you know, because of how dominant they were, the best team in the country. But now that we're in this one-game scenario, Tommy, where, you know, they're going to have to go up against the likes of the, the Illini of Illinois and up against the likes of maybe a Baylor and some of these other teams that are also ultra-talented, it's going to be extremely interesting to see how it plays out and see just how far this team can go. Just to go back with the Gonzaga, uh, just offensive dominance. They put up 98 against Norfolk, which I think they really want to get to 100. But they also, earlier in the year, put up 102 against Kansas. They put up 87 against West Virginia, 99 against Iowa, and 98 against Virginia. So they played in a bad conference. But nobody could stop this offense. Maybe you could get them on the defensive side. You're not stopping the offense. And I look at Oklahoma and I go, all right, Gonzaga's going to get their 85-plus or so, right? I mean, that's what you're going to do. 85-plus, let's take a look at what Oklahoma has done here. And what they've done going into the tournament, they've lost five of six games. 
five of six. They lost. They were limping into the tournament, limping. And in those games, lost because they scored 62 against Kansas, 65 against Texas, 57 against K-State. I mean, this is a team. Look, you put up 72 against Missouri. That's fine. You have to score into the 80s. You have to score. I don't think there's any chance of holding Gonzaga under 78 points. you got to score 80. And I just don't see, not forget about them scoring 80. I just don't see them slowing them down. Yeah, 14 points to me is a little bit of a gift for this Gonzaga team. I'll be looking at them. And I know I know everybody out there, Timmy loves his uh, teasers, right? And everybody loves their teasers. Somebody wrote me, and you guys could write in. You guys, give us a call as well, 876-1340. Um, and somebody wrote in at TomBartonSports.com, Tom Barton Sports over on Twitter. And they asked me, do I do money line parlays? That's the only parlays I really do. I don't like these huge parlays. I'll do a money line parlay just to mitigate. And somebody asked me, do you take the big the big favorites money line parlay? And I said, nah, that's like taking all the number ones. You're not going to do it. And books don't allow it. And Well, books do allow a parlay of Illinois and Gonzaga to win. Your $1,000 will win you about 412 bucks, Chris. Is it worth it? See, this is an interesting question because they had the big one here, Tommy, here in Vegas. The big one was Baylor and Gonzaga, and it was neg- It was minus money. It was, I, think, I believe, I want to say it was minus 125 where you took those two teams, and then you took every other team, and this is back when Michigan was, you know, even though Michigan was number two in the country, a lot of people were thinking Michigan was the best team in the country at that point. We're talking about probably a week and a half ago, two weeks ago. So you could have every other team in the field, and it was at plus. It was it was something like plus one, like plus one thirty or something like that. And so I put twenty bucks down on it, and I'm sure a lot of people else, a lot of other people put money on it. And even though it's a different, you, you just presented a different scenario as with respect to you know another team that's in there. Uh, a lot of people are kind of looking at it like, is it Gonzaga or the rest of the field? You know what I mean? And, and or or that's the way they kind of view. Well, How no, this could Chris, all shake I, I, out. No, Chris, so I'm saying I'm saying a two team money line parlay for this weekend for for the next two games. Well, oh, no, okay, no, no. I, I thought you were talking about the, the future for like the national championship. No, like, all you so you're talking about just this game. Thousand bucks to win, or you want to do a hundred hundred bucks to win forty one thousand dollars to win like four hundred twelve bucks. Uh, Gonzaga's got to win. Illinois's got to win. I like it, and I don't do money line parlays. And I'm not advocating for it. I'm just saying somebody asked me, and I'm going. You know, it's one I might take a shot at. That's I got to be honest, Tommy. It sounds good to me too, but I've got a horrible story about that because back in 1995, when Michael Moore fought George Foreman, he was five. It, it was uh, five. He was he was. I had I put down five hundred dollars on Michael Moore to win a hundred bucks in the fight, and Michael Moore was just dominating him throughout most of the fight until the tenth round, and then all of a sudden, you know, Big George, he had that big overhand blast. And just knocked him out in the tenth round, so I end up losing five hundred dollars trying to win, trying to win hundred. The point being is that 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 that's kind of the argument against what you're talking about there, as far as you know, taking those big favorites when you know there is that snowball chance or that overhand right or that one you know opportunity where, especially in a one game scenario, where you know somebody can get knocked off. So, but but yeah, it makes sense though. I think it does make sense. 
to kind of take a look at that. If if that's uh, if you're looking to if you're looking to lean more the conservative route, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, if you're going to do it, these are the two teams to do it. All right, let's talk yeah. about a very tough game to handicap here um, because we know that Oregon didn't play this round, right? So we we still don't right. know about Oregon. Iowa, Oregon. Um, it's the early game. Iowa looked impressive, but we know about Iowa. Look, Iowa's going to play tremendous offense, and they got no defense. I mean, they, they don't even care to try to play defense because they dare you to outrun them. They're going to be minus four, only four against Oregon. If this was played in the first round, I believe that this line's seven or eight. But because all of a sudden the Pac-12 starts to look good, all of a sudden people starting to give credit. I look at Oregon and I go, look, Oregon is a offensive scoring team. Put up 91 against Arizona State, uh, 82 against UCLA, 80 against Arizona to close out the year, uh, even 80 against Oregon State in one of their two matchups. So they're, they're a scoring team. They're putting up scores. They wound up going out there and getting the free pass here. Now you're playing a team that loves the idea of running with you, and they love the idea of scoring. The over-under set at 148 for a reason. I don't understand why the line is only four. I don't love the game one way or the other because it's hard to handicap the Oregon team. But I think Ohio is getting no credit at all. Ohio is just getting completely disrespected. You still have the best player in the country. You're a number two seed. You went out there and took care of your business. You scored like you always scored. You didn't have – there was no problem in Iowa, right? I mean, they handled their business. And Oregon gets a free pass. I am looking at this more of a product of, oh, well, anything can happen in Oregon. That, and all of a sudden, people are loving on the Pac-12. I'm not loving on the Pac-12, although I keep getting proven wrong. I look at Iowa and I go, there's no way I can take Oregon here. And it's a hard game to handicap because of the Oregon situation. But how do you not think that this line should be six, seven, eight? It's sitting at four, Chris. We were sitting in the sports book here at the Gold Coast in Vegas watching this Iowa game and Grand Canyon, and all we kept saying to ourselves was, this Hawkeyes team just refuses to play defense, Tommy. I mean, they just do not put a hand up. They do not play defense. I mean, look, no disrespect to Grand Canyon, okay? But they're a whack team, okay? And I don't mean whack like they're bad. I mean whack like they're in the whack. And you should, the Hawkeyes have no business giving up – the amount of points they gave up to Grand Canyon today. Okay, so, you know, and and, and look, so th- that concerns me. But you juxtapose that with the fact that we haven't seen the Ducks play yet. Okay, this is an Iowa team that offensively we don't know what they're going to come with in this matchup. And it, it kind of blows my mind, to be honest with you, that there's only – that right now it's only, a, you know, it's only at, at sitting at 149. I, I, I would expect that that total would be much – it would be higher, you know. So that kind of surprises me. And saying that, despite the fact that the, that Iowa does have issues defensively, I just got to believe that, you know, even though Oregon didn't play, that Fran McCaffrey is going to be in the backside of his team and say, look, we can't let down. We can't let these guys, you know, we can't let these guys hang around. He, McCaffrey is going to have his guys ready. And yes, you mentioned Gars, obviously, and there's, you know, Weiss, Camp, Weiss, Camp, Weiss and these guys, they can shoot it, no question. And I think that continues going into this next matchup. And I think I, I, if I'm taking a look at it, I think, I think that four is low. 
I think that I think that Iowa is going to handle their business again, and I think that uh, this is another one of those games where I think the Hawkeyes end up uh, winning in the double digit area, despite the fact that uh, the Ducks I think will be able to hang in the first half. I, I just uh, I, I just think that McCaffrey's going to have him playing better defense in the second game, and uh, and keep the Ducks at bay. Does the layoff hurt or help Oregon here? I wonder about that. I would lean towards it would hurt them more. You know, it, I mean, going up against a team uh, with with the kind of skill set that Oregon has, Tommy. You know, with the with the kind of offensive prowess that they have, and 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 you know what Fran McCaffrey is able to do from a motivational standpoint of this team. I think. I, I mean, I would lean towards it being a negative for Oregon as opposed to any type of positive. I mean, you don't look, think about it this way, right, Tommy? You don't look at this and say, well, the Ducks, they have guys that, uh, you know, maybe needed a breather for a day. You, you don't really look at it like that, right, as any type of, uh, you know, a healing mechanism whatsoever for, for Oregon. So I think it, it would be a detriment to them. Yeah, I think so, too. I, I do. I, I think people are going to look at this as, oh, they got a free pass. And I, I really do believe that it's going to hurt them. You get so psyched up for the game. You're focused on this team. You're focused on this team for days and days. All right, here we go. And then all of a sudden, boom, oh, I didn't even get to play that. Like, you didn't even get it out of your system. All right, let's take a quick time out. We are going to come back. When we come back, the Sweethearts, the Abilene Christians, the Ohios, the big <laughs> upset teams, they're going to be playing on Monday. And they're going to be playing some teams that I think could go down. We're going to talk about all that and more right after this on Heatwave Sports. We sitting here, I'm supposed to be the franchise player, and we're in here talking about practice. Listen, we're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game. Not, not, not the game that I go out there and, and die for and play every game like it's my last. Not the game. We're talking about practice, man. I mean, how silly is that? Now back to Heat Wave Sports. Here's Tim Unglesby. Hey, guys. I am Tom Barton from TomBartonSports.com. Sitting in for Tim Unglesby. He'll be back tomorrow with Chris Wynn. Radio extraordinaire, radio personality extraordinaire. We are talking everything in March Madness right now. 876-1340 gets you part of the show. You guys can write me over on Twitter. It's Tom Barton Sports over on Twitter. Chris, why don't you throw out your Twitter handle? Yeah, you can find me at Twitter also at Christian Wynn and at CWin77. For all the youngsters out there, Tommy, over on Instagram. Insta who? Insta Insta who? Getting the over there. Tweet. It's, it's, it's the you know what it is, Tommy. It's the diversification of the social media. You know, you got some. You got a lot of the youngsters are over on Tommy. You, you in on the TikTok thing yet? Have you got a chance to kind of swing over on that and check it out? No, I don't. I don't sell out to the Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know. Is that a Chinese thing? I don't even know. Is it? There was a back There was like a problem. <laughs> I don't know. No, I, I will tell you that my kids have been on it, and they're 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 three and seven because my nieces are on it, who are in their you know their upper teens and low twenties. So yeah. Uh, everyone's done TikTok. We did the we we did. All, I I never did, but I don't have any dance moves. So that's uh, you. You have to dance to be on TikTok. Yeah, a dance, or you have to have some kind of you know uh, input that's like a, it's a short video thing. It, it's it's it can be addictive at times, Tommy. I'm not gonna lie to you. Even for the elder <laughs> statesmen like us. So <laughs> I, I think I, I get which uh, which kind of TikTok videos you're watching, Chris. I get it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all right, let's talk about. 
the Cinderella, if there was a Cinderella and Abilene Christian fits the bill pretty well. Uh, earlier today, me and Tim talked. He said, do you like UCLA? I said, yep. Uh, he said, I said, but I like Abilene Christian too. He said, money line. I said, yeah, I'm going money line. Why not? I, I threw a couple down. I didn't go big on it because I like this Abilene Christian team. I made some money on them over the course of the year. And I didn't just don't believe in Texas. Look, let's just let's just come to the conclusion at this point, okay, um, that when you talk about Texas Longhorns, you're talking about Texas Longhorns basketball, right? And you're talking about who the Texas Longhorns basketball head coach is, all of a sudden people go, Shaka Smart. I've been telling people for years Shaka Smart is a bad coach. He's a bad coach. And I'll repeat it again. He's a bad coach. One of the reasons I didn't like Texas tonight, because he's a bad coach. Abilene Christian went in there. They handled their business. But you know what? So did UCLA. Every year we get an 11 seed that not only wins, and that is, by the way, one of the trends that we gave you, is once an 11 seed makes it in, they also usually win a couple of rounds. Then they go on a run. I didn't see it being UCLA. But UCLA beat you know Tom Izzo, the choke artist, in the first round. UCLA went out there and handled their business fully in control of their game. I think this is a really good matchup under the radar. I don't think a lot of people are going to be really uh, kind of caring about this one, I should say, because it's two underdogs, but I love it. UCLA is a four and a half point favorite. I'm not right now leaning off here. Um, 133 is the number. I tend to lean the over a little bit. I'll stay away from this one, and I'm kind of just rooting for either one of these teams to move on. Obviously, Abilene a little bit more. They're the better story. But you got to give a little credit to UCLA and what they're doing. Yeah, I have to say I'm impressed, actually, by what Mick Cronin and the Bruins have done here the last couple of games because let's be honest about it, Tommy. Coming into the tournament, they were not playing well at all. They had blown leads. They were losing to teams they shouldn't lose to. And, you know, it just almost like – it feels like they've almost flipped the switch here, particularly offensively. And they're getting, they've been getting buckets now. They can score. And they were up against it against a Michigan State team that was – you know, that had beaten the likes of Illinois and Ohio State and in uh, Michigan, you know, just in, a, in the past week and a half. And the Spartans were up 13 in that game. And looked like it looked a lot like you know, Michigan State was going to end up winning that game by twenty plus, and it was it was it was almost like a mismatch, a mismatch at times early on, and then all of a sudden the second half came around. It was a completely different story, and UCLA handled themselves well. As far as the Abilene Christian matchup with Texas today, and I was on the other side of that game actually. I had Texas minus eight, 88 and a half to start the game off, and then I actually took Texas because it was a game that was going back and forth, Tommy, and you had you know a bunch of ties and a bunch of one and two point leads for both teams. And, uh, you know, so I actually took an in game on Texas too at minus four and a half. And so I ended up taking a bath on that matchup. But I mean, you want to talk about two teams that it seemed like they had their feet in cement. It was, it was Abilene Christian and Texas in that game. I mean, we're talking about, I mean, think about this, Tommy Abilene Christian ends up winning the game, right? I believe they shot. I want to say they shot three of 18 from three. I, I, I could be wrong on that, but I think I, I want to say no. Maybe you know. You know what? That was the other matchup. I think I'm thinking of. That was the uh, uh, that was the matchup. I think where uh, the other the other uh, fourteen against a three matchup. I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of the uh, the Virginia well, Abilene game. And Te- Abilene and Texas put up a hundred and five points. Yeah. Well, exactly. Yeah. So they they barely barely got over. My point being is they barely got over a hundred points in that game. And I believe, dude, Albion Christian didn't did it. Uh, Two of their players 
led the team in scoring with 11 points each. Yes. I, I, I think if I'm correct on that. I'm not looking at the box score right now, but I, 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 I'm recalling that. So they were able to win the game. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about an ugly box score here. So, uh, you know, you take a look at – this is a Texas team, by the way, in Shaka Smart, where you've got Andrew Jones, not the Andrew Jones. It's a Hall of Famer, obviously. We're talking the other Andrew Jones, who's probably going to be an NBA player. You've got a couple other guys there that have a ton of potential at Texas. And this is a Texas team that, you know, at times they can beat the likes of the Kansases and, you know, they can play with Baylor. And they, you know, but at, at times they lose to teams they have no business losing to. And obviously that's another, another situation that took place tonight as Albion Christian gets the win. So uh, great matchup, by the way, I think between uh, between Albion Christian now and UCLA. But as you pointed out, I mean, I got to lean towards the Bruins here. The Bruins, a team that's playing uh, much better as opposed to what, the way they finished out the Pac-12 regular season. How about uh, Shaka Smart's job here? I know everybody loves him. Oh, he's great. He's great. He's great. I see nothing but failures out of Texas. You know, it's interesting. I, I kind of look at it, and yes, he was the golden boy, obviously, from his time at VCU and what he was able to do with that with that program. And then you end up getting bumped up, and now all of a sudden you're coaching in the, in, in the Big 12, and you're going up against the big boys night in and night out. Um, there is absolutely room for criticism of Shaka Smart. I also want to throw in there, though, that this was the year of what? COVID-19. And this was a team that was highly, highly affected by certain aspects of COVID-19, you know, as far as player personnel and, and kind of the way their season went. And, you know, look, it's kind of a, a tough spot for them because you've got a ton of talent there. You, get, you know, you got a lot of guys that can play. And so that would lead to expectations. And so that doesn't take Shaka Smart off the, uh, excuse me, Shaka Smart off the hook by any stretch of the imagination. But uh, I think, you know, all things considered, this isn't going to be one of those situations where I'm going to look at it and say, well, Shaka Smart's just a bad coach. And uh, I, 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 I would lean to kind of, I mean, not giving him a pass, but I would lean towards, you know, uh, he would look to improve next season on what it is he was able to establish here and just kind of move forward from that. How about you mentioned COVID? What kind of credit do we give to Ohio? Look, they're a good team. They've played good teams tough. They played Illinois tough during the year. But a lot of what they did today was a COVID-related situation. Let's not kid ourselves. I'm trying not to take anything away from them, but we all knew. We were, Everybody had Ohio. It was a big number. Anybody that was paying attention to sports wagering had Ohio. We all had Ohio on the money line. We had them. Why? Because Virginia didn't land in Indiana until – uh, less than 24 hours before the game kicked off. They were not allowed to practice. It was a bad situation for Virginia, and I believe that Virginia lost the game much more than Ohio won the game. Creighton, meanwhile, Creighton goes through a biggie schedule where I thought that they were very good. They just have the choking thing, you know? I mean, they're always, it's Creighton. Creighton doesn't do well in the tournament. We know that. But Creighton did do well in the first round. They played USBC. Me and you both liked them. Chris, you know, I, we won with the points, okay? You're getting plus seven. Uh, but they, they got by them. I think Santa Barbara was a lot better than what people give them credit for. So now all of a sudden I look at, at an upstart Ohio team that probably got the biggest benefit in the tournament from anybody outside of, uh, out of Oregon, right? Having to face Virginia. And Creighton, who got by a team that probably shouldn't have been favored by seven over because USBC is a very good team. And here we go. The line's five. 
I think Creighton is a team that could absolutely go on a run. They they have an argument to say they were the best team in the Big East this year. I'm not, again, trying to disparage Ohio. It's just seemingly happening. I'll take Creighton all day in that game. Well, Tommy, you like me, we watched the UC Santa Barbara game, and let's be straight about it, okay? The Gauchos should have won that basketball game, all right? Absolutely. they had a, I want to say they had like a three- or four-point lead with just over a minute left, and it was a situation of course where fouls were going to come into play, all this kind of stuff. And then, of course, we all saw what transpired there. When you have a big man down low who is literally inches from the rim, and he ends up blowing a layup that would have gave them the lead and gave them the win, and it ends up costing the game. So UCSB, I mean, those those that had them, the Gauchos on the money line are, are absolutely wringing their hands in the air after that game. With respect to Ohio and Virginia, look, Virginia, we all understand. And by the way, how about this Ohio-Virginia game, Tommy? Exactly like the, uh, the Albany Christian game where teams are struggling. They barely get over 100 points on the court. You know, so it was another one of those, you know, uh, feet in slop games where it was, it was, uh, you know, 52, 53, you know, a super duper close game. But uh, that's kind of par for the course, right? When you're talking about the Virginia Cavaliers for the past, what, five, six years. I mean, that's kind of their MO is the defense. And that's kind of why they won a national championship. But uh, so you kind of expect that in Cavalier games. But uh, Ohio, you mean you mean Tommy that uh, names like Vanderplas aren't are on the tip of your tongue when it comes to uh, you know players out there in the big dance that are you know that are drawing all kinds of attention? No, you're not going to see that from Ohio. And so uh, you know this is it, it's look look the Bobcats they're out of the MAC, and let's be honest about it again. Nobody knew a whole lot about them. Okay, the same thing with Abilene Christian. And, you know, they get the victory, and it's it's kind of one of those games where, like, you know, there wasn't a ton of offense, but they end up getting the job done. So you got to give credit where credit is due uh, with both Abilene Christian as well as Ohio. But I got to say, I still don't get – I don't give the Bobcats much chance in this game on Monday. I just don't. I just think that, you know, I think they've, you know, are going to be kind of taking the view of, you know, we, we, we won our Super Bowl, i.e. we got – we won a, a game in the NCAA tournament, and then it's kind of like bow out time as they get set for that for the second for the second round game. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I completely yeah. agree that they are. Uh, I think the perception is quite different than the reality, and I'm glad we were able to, to talk about reality. All right, here's <laughs> a, a team that I believe is in a matchup really, really well with a team that they're going to be the underdogs to, and the line reflected it. LSU is very athletic. LSU comes from an SEC that had a down year, but they're an athletic team. They're taking on number one Michigan. Michigan is banged up. Michigan is the number one seed that, at least for me, was the most vulnerable to be knocked off first. Michigan's only giving five. A one seed is giving an eight seed five here. Now, there's a lot I could say about LSU because LSU is a long athletic team. They're a dangerous team. They're coming from a conference that I think is uh, a little underrated. I get it. But they got some big wins. Look, they beat Arkansas, uh, you know, not that long ago, but uh, three, four games ago. They split the season series with them, but they beat Arkansas. They beat Tennessee, who was a tournament team. Uh, they went out there and they handled their business. They barely lost to Florida in their game uh, earlier in the season. This is a team that I think, you know, could put a monkey wrench in things. Now, I know, like, Everybody likes St. Bonaventure, but me. 
LSU, though, with this line starts to become interesting. I thought LSU was going to be catching eight, nine points. I think the Michigan injury, the Michigan, uh-oh, they're not as good. The Michigan conversation that I was having of, you know what? They're the most vulnerable one seed. I think it's pushing this line into a point where you almost have to take a look at Michigan. I still think Michigan can go down here. I still think Michigan's going to be the first number one seed out. There's none, My mind isn't changing here. But you're giving me a Michigan team that everybody's doubting against an LSU team that can run, they can match up, but they're very, very inconsistent this year. I, I'm looking at Michigan and I'm saying, I think that's a soft line. I would have to parrot what you just said as far as whether it with it being at five I think is way too low it absolutely should be sitting at eight or nine now look maybe the viewpoint is this maybe it is that livers is not there and because he's such an important part of the engine I mean he's what he's one of the cogs that that makes that 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 engine run in Ann Arbor for that for that Michigan team so I, I believe and look I've, I've maintained this throughout uh, since this tournament started and a lot of, you know, a lot of other Sharps have the same viewpoint is that Michigan's going to be fine, I think, in round one. I think they'll be fine in round two. It's once we start getting into the Sweet 16 and deeper where the Wolverines are really going to have some issues because Livers is not there to be the guy that's kind of the glue that keeps that, that whole thing together. Look, all due respect to Juwan Howard. He's done a tremendous job there with Michigan. It's his first season. And, you know, it's, it, it, they all love it up there because it's, you know, it's a former Fab Five player that's been able to kind of, you know, rejuvenate this program. But not having livers there is a bigger deal later on down the line than, than I think Michigan fans or Big Ten fans want to believe. And so, but, but obviously we're looking at this matchup against LSU. LSU, as you mentioned, uh, very athletic team. Okay, so that can present some problems to a Michigan squad that doesn't necessarily have, you know, uh, horses across the board uh, from a size standpoint. Uh, but that being said, we saw what Michigan was able to do there in, in that first round game. They can score. Okay, and so, and this is a Wolverines team that I, I think, to be honest, in that first round game, I mean, they're, it was almost like they were toying, with, toying around, you know. I mean, they were up by 24 at one point, and then they end up not even coming close to covering. Because that game closed, I believe, at 24 and a half, I think, was the, was the line in that game when it closed, at least on William Hill. So the point being is that, uh, you know, I, I, and as someone who had Michigan, okay, I was, I was like kind of, up, I was kind of irritated because it, the way the end of that game went down and it was almost like, well, Michigan just started, you know, put it in cruise control there at the end of that game and end up, uh, you know, not even coming close to covering. But I do think that. If I take a look at this, as you said, Tommy, and I see minus five in this matchup, I'm all over the Michigan in this. I'm all over it. And I, you know, yeah, they could, I, I think they could end up, you know, what the reality is going to be is they'll probably end up winning by seven or eight. Okay. And that's, I'm, I think I'm being conservative from that aspect. I don't think they're going to blow out LSU by any stretch, you know, but I, but I also don't think that I, I, I just don't think there's any danger that LSU is going to win this game. That's my own personal opinion, but I just I just think that uh, I just think that the Wolverines end up handling their business. Chris, let's talk about Florida State. Obviously, I have a little bit of a bias besides just uh, the household of Florida State. I also right. have Florida State going to my Final Four in my brackets. I think Florida State is vastly underrated. They are 
huge. <laughs> this team is, if you haven't witnessed this team up close to personal, they are a very tall, very big team. They are matchup nightmares to every single team in the country. And that's kind of why I like this team. Uh, they do have lapses where mentally they just get a little unfocused. They won their game by 10, but you know, they needed a two-pointer at the end to even get to the 10. Most of the numbers close to about 10 and a half anyway. But uh, look, it was a there was not really a danger Florida State was going to lose, but they didn't perform overly well. It was kind of what you expect from Florida State year after year. Colorado got by Georgetown. Georgetown team that everybody loved. They were streaking. They were hot. But a Georgetown team that needed to win their conference championship game to get over 500. A Georgetown team that I generally am not overly impressed with on the year. They got a little hot for a short little spurt against teams that they very well knew. Leads me to Colorado. Not overly impressed with Colorado. Okay. Now, I've spoken to people from the Pac-12. I've spoken to, I've had them on Sports Garden Network show this week, actually. Uh, Chris Penrose, three-time captain of USC basketball, told me to watch Colorado. He thought Colorado was a team that could make a run. I look at Colorado's schedule, and I'm still not impressed with the Pac-12. I can continue to say that all night. I look at when they took on a Grand Canyon, or when I took on a Tennessee, when they took on even a Georgetown. That was a, it was a very impressive performance, but I'm not going to make it anything more than what it was. It was a performance against a team that should have been under 500. This line is one. I don't know how Florida State doesn't absolutely hammer this team. Uh, you can tell me that Colorado will have the best player on the court. I, I get it. Um, I'm not necessarily agreeing, but that would be the argument. But there's not a whole lot I like here in Colorado at all. I think this is a massive overreaction to everyone having Georgia. They were the, one of the biggest tickets written this weekend. Everyone had Georgia. Everybody watched Yeah, that Georgetown. Game. Yep. Georgetown, I'm sorry. Everybody yep. watched that game. Everybody paid attention to that game. Everybody watched every minute of that game. And everybody left that game going, wow, Colorado's fantastic. The Florida State game was never really in doubt. Florida State game, you know, they were up. There was a lot of other excitement going on during the Florida State game. People kind of paid attention, not really. This, to me, is the biggest overreaction of the weekend of what the line should have been two days ago as opposed to what the line is today. Legitimate national championship aspirations for the Seminoles in Tallahassee. That is not hyperbole. That's not me overstating things. We're talking about the class of the ACC, Tommy, and – Look, I'm not just trying to blow, you know, uh, sunshine up your backside. I'm just trying to say that, uh, you know, when you think about, you know, the Gonzagas, when you think about the Illinois, I think Florida State, in my opinion, is right up there with them. When it comes to Colorado, interesting team because, look, we understand that they can they can put the ball in the basket. Uh, we saw that against the Hoyas, who, like you mentioned, everybody for the tournament was talking about Winthrop was going to beat Villanova. And a lot of people, too, Tommy, were saying that Georgetown was going to handle the Buffaloes, too, right? Because they're coming off a Big East, you know, championship, and you got Pat Ewing there getting, you know, all fired up because they're stopping him in Madison Square Garden because he doesn't have credentials. And, you know, and there was a whole hullabaloo about that. And the Hoys were still able to play through it, and they looked solid in their tournament. And then all of a sudden, you know, uh, now it's the NCAA tournament, and people want to just carry that over. Didn't carry over at all. Okay, Colorado absolutely boat raced Georgetown. So I kind of I, I got to say I'm kind of wary 
after I saw what Colorado was, Rada was able to do and, and, you know, what people are basically, you know, disrespecting the PAC 12, I think across the board, whether it's USC, whether it's Colorado, whether it's Oregon state, you know, obviously UCLA. So like, I kind of, I'm kind of wary there at the same time. Again, I almost fell out of my seat when you said the line was one that the line is this tight, I think is utterly ridiculous. Okay. I think the Seminoles should absolutely be a bigger favorite. And I think that Colorado is going to have all kinds of matchup problems against this Florida state team. And uh, as someone who doesn't have a dog in the fight, who's not some type of Seminole backer or, you know, has ties to the school or ties to the ACC by any stretch than I do, I don't have any, you know, but I have to be honest. There is more talk around this Florida state team right now. Okay. than there has been, for Florida State basketball since the Bob Sura, uh, Charlie Ward days. You know what I'm talking about. I mean, that's 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 what we're – I mean, there's more buzz around this program now than there has been since those days. So, uh, yes, I'm very high on this Seminole team, and uh, I take a look at this matchup, and I think uh, it's a gift, okay? when I look, If that line's one, I, I'm just absolutely going to be laying major wood on Florida State in that matchup against Colorado. Yeah, I was talking to Charlie a couple months ago, and he, he kind of said that. He said, yo, we're jokingly, we're a basketball school now, <laughs> right? I mean, you know, Charlie. Well, yeah, think about it. Well, I mean, look, you you understand it. I mean, you you, you and Abby understand it. I mean, it, it, it is a football school. I'm sorry. I mean, you can look, you can say, and by the way, so is Florida, okay? And so is Ohio State, okay? And so, you know, is is Alabama, you know? I mean, I, Alabama's a no-brainer, but you know, but you know what I mean, though. You know, all of a sudden now people are talking about oh, Alabama basketball, you know, because they're there's and they're a good team this year. No question. They're a very good team. They could be a front of 14, but it, let's make no mistake about it. OK, you know, you think Tallahassee, you think Florida State. We're not talking about, you know, uh, and there's been great players that have played there, you know, over the past, you know, 20, 25, even 30 years. And they're a great team this year and they could and look, they could win it all this year. But. Make no mistake about it. It's a football school, and so are those others that I mentioned. And uh, I think I think it's safe to say, Tommy, that they'll continue to be. You said football school. Let's go to Alabama, Maryland. It's uh, Timmy's Terps. Uh, against yes, Alabama. it is. I made up the decision, and this is why I won't handicap this game, uh, because I made my decision and my mind up before the – when the brackets were – I was filling out the brackets. Before the games went off, I said – I don't know who's going to win the UConn-Maryland game, but whoever wins is beating Alabama. <laughs> that was my decision. <laughs> I, I'm, not a, I'm not a believer in this Alabama team. They don't play defense at all. You want to talk about Iowa? At least Iowa's offense it scares you. Alabama just doesn't scare me. I think that they are completely overrated. I've been saying this all year long. I think they're an overrated team. I think they're an over, it, it's a bad view for me. When I look at Alabama and how they win games is just not something I'm impressed with. Going out there and beating LSU by one in a game you probably shouldn't have won. Uh, going out there and beating Tennessee by five at the end of the year. Again, a game. I question if you even should have won that game. If you watch that whole game, uh, you know, you got absolutely smoked by Clemson earlier in the year. This is a team that I just don't buy into. And no matter who and by the way, Maryland and UConn. I thought they whoever wins this is going to win this, and they could have made a deep run, and it could have been UConn. Maryland looked massively impressive. Plus six, I'll take it. 
Okay, I'll take it on the money line. I'll throw a little stab, but I already made my mind up two weeks ago about this. I mean, I'm going, I'm going against Alabama no matter what. And the brackets came out, and I said, "Wow, I like Maryland or UConn to go against." Personal tidbit here, Tommy. Of course, uh, you know you don't play parlays much, but I do. Okay, and uh, I had and uh, UConn was one of those teams that screwed me today. I had them uh, minus the three and a half. I also had the under in that game, which was a no sweater because it seemed like nobody was making baskets there in certain spurts of that game. But uh, absolutely agree with you that I was impressed at times by by the Terps and what they're able to do. But I was I have to be honest, I was much more unimpressed and disappointed in that UConn Huskies team and Danny Hurley and what they were able to do. Offensively, they were just putrid that entire game. I mean, there are points where they, they couldn't even buy a basket to save their lives. And it wasn't because the Terps were playing this great defense. It was just a matter of, you know, uh, UConn would be out there and just firing up, you know, bad shot after bad shot, missing left and right. Miss, th- th- there was one offensive uh, series, offensive uh trip down the floor where they missed three layups okay from from like point blank range that's how bad UConn was in that game so I don't know I don't know if I'd agree with you my friend as far as uh UConn would have made a run even if they would have won that game but that being said uh there's no question that Maryland was the better team tonight and they're moving on and uh I mean you take a look you look at look this is an Alabama team that can score okay they can score with anybody in the country Nate Oates is one of those young coaches that every you know, uh, he's not really that young, but still, he's a he's a guy who's, uh, you know, is uh, one of the more talked about guys from an offensive standpoint. And so, I would happen to agree with you that I think they're a really good team, but probably not championship worthy. But I think they they could you know be a team that could make it to the Elite Eight and scare some people. So I, I mean, I look at this matchup between these two teams, and I say that you know, even though there were some issues offensively, a little bit for Alabama in this first game. I think they right the ship a little bit. And I think uh, Nate Oates, you know, get, gets gets behind him a little bit. And they find a way offensively to uh, to get a win against Maryland in the, in this uh, match between these two teams. And then the final game, the late game, which I actually think might be the best game of the day. Number six, USC comes in as a one-and-a-half point favorite over number three, Kansas. Kansas had the same sort of COVID problems that Virginia had, but they were able to advance. Now, I've listened to Bill Self uh, for the last week or so, and all he talks about is how his defense turned around. They turned around their season. They completely changed their season. They completely changed their defensive mindset. And you know what? I'm starting to believe them. Kansas looked very good um, for what they are right now. And you can't look at Kansas for who they are. Oh, okay, sure. You know, they oh, they gave up a ton of points. And they gave up a ton of points against Eastern Washington. I don't believe that that's the mentality that they're going to have going up against USC. I think you're going to see a defensive game plan here. The total is 134.5 for a team that just put up 90-something points. 134.5. That means that they believe it's going to be a defensive game plan. USC has the best player on the court. And, and you know what? It's rare to see a six favor over three, but I get the COVID issues. I just think Kansas is getting a little disrespected. I, you know, this could go either way. This is a coin flip. But again, this is my Pac-10, anti-Pac-10 bias this year because I usually root for the Pac-12. I'm sorry, Pac-12. Um, I usually root for them. I, I, I just find myself going against every single team over the next two days. That's a Pac-12 team. And I'm looking at Kansas as another one of those situations. I think that Kansas is going to play a slowdown style. I think that they're going to you know, at least slow down the best player on USC and was one of the best players in the country. 
hey, it's a coin flip to me, but I'll take I'll take Kansas. I'll take Bill Self. Yeah, this is one of those games where you brought up earlier. You know, you always have a really good chance, right? If you have the best player on the floor for both teams, and that's kind of the situation here with the Trojans. That being said, though, Kansas, while they aren't the Jayhawk teams of the past, right, where you know it's national championship or bust. This is you do get a feel, right, that this is a Kansas team that if they're clicking on all cylinders, they can beat anybody, you know, and they can make a run. So, uh, I, well, I, I hear that number too. I hear that total in the one thirties, and it, it, I just it screams to me that it's low. I, I just I just get the feeling that both these teams are going to put up more points offensively than than that would lead to as far as that total. So I'm probably going to take a look at the over in this game. But uh, as far as the side, I mean, I have to lean Kansas. I have to. I just don't, you know, I don't believe as much in USC. And it doesn't really have anything to do with the, with the Pac-12 buys. It's more along the lines of this is a USC team that at, at times can go, with, go through spurts where scoring is a difficulty, to say the least. So I, I, I would tend that they would lend themselves more to stopping themselves as opposed to, you know, Kansas just locking down on them or by any stretch of the imagination. So to me, it, I, I'd lean Kansas in this matchup uh, if, if, if you ask me. And I also think that it's a game where both these teams can end up scoring and you can end up with like a, something, something along the lines of like an 82 to like 75 type of game, Tommy. Just be careful with that. Let me give you a little stat here as we head on our way out here. Yeah, they put mm-hmm. up 93 and they let up 84 Kansas. The nine <laughs> games before that, 62, 62, 58. 72, 61, 41, 50, 64, 66. Their defense clamped down those last nine games. I mean, they had one hiccup. So just be cautious. I see where your mind is, but just be a little cautious with that total because I thought like you, I thought it should open up into the 140s. It's 134 and a half. That kind of scares me. Chris, so Tommy, so Tommy, it makes perfect. Tommy, it makes perfect sense, right? That they would drop a 90 spot in the first game of the NCAA tournament. That's crazy, isn't it? That they're going to go out there and light it up like that. Come on. That's nuts. After Bill Self's turned around all week and said defense, defense, and defense. Uh, Chris, it's been fun. Make sure you hit your bets tomorrow, man. I want to, I want to see those tickets. I love it when we're, we're all exchanging the tickets, all the winners. I hope you guys got some winners listening to us tonight. Thank you again to DeMond. Thank you to Chris Wynn. Tim Unglesby will be back tomorrow, as we will also be back tomorrow. We're going to be talking in depth about the Monday games and what all happened, who's moving forward in the tournament. Don't rip up your brackets, guys. Don't worry, lots of craziness still to come. Have a very good night, Las Vegas. My mind is racing, heart is pacing, everything I want to taste it, I embrace it. Gotta have the patience, dedication, never leave a moment waste for chasing greatness. I think it's kind of funny that they slept on me. Here's a couple things they should know about me. One way to get this is what it takes.